Hawaii. I'm from Alaska, like the furthest thing from. But they don't say things like that in Alaska. They're just like, it's cold. Stay in your house. So that's what we say there. Thank you. I appreciate you laughing because that's what it was meant to do. That's so awesome. Kind of the same way it's cold. Stay in your home. I, I'm also like the introverts uh, rally cry. You guys know that one? Introverts unite alone in your own homes. You guys know that one? Yeah, that was a good one too. Except for, uh, you know, this week, Casey, I'm quoting her already. I didn't even have this in my sermon. She said to me the other day, she goes, you know, I'm an introvert and I love being an introvert, but I love Jesus more than I love being an introvert. And so I come and I serve at church and I get involved in groups and I do youth group and it's tiring and I give it because I love Jesus more than I love being an introvert. So there's your sermon for this morning. That's all you need. It, like, if you're an extrovert, all you got to do is love Jesus more than being an extrovert, and you'll be able to handle sharing your faith with introverts because you'll be quiet and calm because you love Jesus more. And if you're an, if you're an introvert, keep coming. Keep being here. You love Jesus more than being an introvert. All right? Okay. Sermon over. Now for my other sermon. Sermon number two. So we've been in a, what I'm going to call an accidental sermon series. Oops. <laughs> it started when we uh, we planned our New Year's, like right before New Year's, the last Sunday of the year and the first Sunday of the year. We planned those two Sundays with this concept of the first one looking back and then the second one looking forward. And as I began to just listen to the Holy Spirit on what he's saying to the church, um, I, I'd actually already plotted out a bunch of sermon series for this semester. And I think we're still going to do some of them, but he began to speak to me specifically about some things for us at this time, at this moment, based on this whole looking back and looking forward. So we started with looking back and remembering God's faithfulness, right, through the, for, through the year of 2019. We remembered his goodness. We remembered how he showed up in our lives, and we, we shared stories, and it was really encouraging. And then we started looking forward. We started saying, okay, so in this new year, it's 2020, it's this, you know, it's perfect vision year. Everybody's saying that, right? 2020 vision. It just goes together so well. Like, I was trying to think, what do we call our vision for this year? 2020 vision. I bet nobody's taken that. And so 2020 vision, we're thinking, like, looking with clarity, looking forward. And the question we asked ourselves is, what is God's invitation to you in this year, right? What is God's invitation? And I hope that that has been stuck in your craw for days and weeks. Like, because we went on the marriage retreat last week, and that was kind of a part of what we were talking about, is what is God's invitation for you in your marriage, where is he calling you to grow? Where is he calling you to invest? What is he calling you to give? What is he calling you to give up? What is he calling you to take up? Ooh, that worked well, didn't it? I, I was like, you think I'd plan that? Like give up, to give, to give up, and to take up. What is God inviting you into for this new year? Because success is not big things. Success is being obedient to God's invitation for your life. That's how you're a successful Christian. So what is God's invitation to you? And then we looked last week a little bit about just kind of a vision. Like there's an invitation from God, but there's also this vision that he has for your life. From this point forward, like what things has God called you to do? What good works has he prepared before the creation even began? What good works has he prepared for you to do? And to think about what God is calling you to. And so today we're going to combine all of that. We're going to take it all and wrap it up in one fail swoop of looking forward and looking backward. Because here's the truth. In order to go forward toward God's invitation, to go forward toward God's vision for your life, you have to go backward to get there. You have to go backward to get there. Now, this is a, it's a, it's a principle we talk about in EHS and EHR. 
um, emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy relationships. You have to look back at your past to look at the brokenness of your history in order to get free. You can't be free from what you don't know that you're a slave to. But there's another side to this principle. There's another side to the coin. And that's looking back at how God has showed up in the past, the successes of your life, to know that he will be faithful to lead you forward through the giants that you face. The reality is when we are invited by God into something new, the first thing that we are going to face is giants. It is over and over and over again in the Old Testament, the Old Testament stories. God brings the Israelites to the edge of the promised land, and and they send out spies, and those spies come back. There's seven of them. Anybody remember this story? There's seven spies. They go out. They come back. They're carrying, like, great big huge clumps of grapes. They're bringing jugs of honey. They're bringing jugs of milk, all of this fine fruit and vegetables and this rich, rich land that God says, this is yours. But they come back, and two of them say, look at all this good stuff God has given us. The other five, they say, but there are giants in the land. Then you have Moses. This is another good one. Moses is leading the, the Israelites out of slavery. Like, this is right out of slavery. They just left Egypt. All the signs and wonders that God did, you know, the, the great plagues and things like that that we remember in order to get those Israelites free. These huge signs and wonders. And he's leading them, and they come, and they wander their way all the way out through the desert to the edge of the Red Sea, which is a giant ocean for them. And they're standing at the edge of it, and God says, camp here. And so they camp there for a couple of days. It's crazy God would even do this. They camp there for a couple of days. And you know why? So that Pharaoh has time to get his brain straight and go, hey, wait a minute. Why did we let all those slaves go? Why did we do that? Hey, let's go get them. So they're busy camping by the sea, like, oh, we're free. And here comes the greatest army in the known world with the greatest war horses and chariots. It's tanks and bombs coming at them, 100 miles an hour, as fast as they can. They look up and they say, here comes the army. Moses, what have you done? Was there not enough graves in Egypt for us? You've brought us here, and now we stand between Pharaoh, the giant, and this ocean. What are we going to do? Giants. Giants in the land. David and Goliath. That's actually the story we're going to talk about today. You guys all know the story of David and Goliath. This is one of the stories of the whole Bible that pretty much everybody in culture knows because it's a story not just from the Bible. It's used in multiple other cultural, biblical-type narratives, from the Babylonians to the Syrians to even some Hindu culture has stories of David and Goliath, even in the Super Bowl, right? We always have David and Goliath stories every year at the Super Bowl. It's always David against Goliath. It's his backwater team that shouldn't be here and this dominant team that's going to kill them and people are going to die and it's going to be horrible. I don't know why we're watching this. It's just for the commercials. Hopefully nobody gets hurt. Every year, basketball games, same thing. David and Goliath. It's the little guy against the giant. The little guy against the giant. And so we live this same story. You've been invited by God into something new, a new land, a new way of being, a new thinking, a new vision, a new practice. And you come up to the edge of that land, and you find that you're facing giants. How do we know this is true? Well, people that do, they've done a lot of research, actually, on this in the terms of uh, New Year's resolutions. You guys know New Year's resolutions? How many people in this room made New Year's resolutions? Go ahead. Don't be ashamed. Just say it. Like, yeah. You know what the actually statistics say? Less than 60% of the population does this. Like They put this on television like we should all be doing this. You should feel guilty if you're not doing New Year's resolutions. The looks on some of your faces just now are like, well, I, I thought about it, but I didn't. I should have. I don't know why. So less than 60% of the population does this. But here's what they found when they researched. That 60% of the population, less than 8% of people actually accomplish what they set out to do. 
They face giants. Out of 10 people in this room, that means less than half of one of you. Less than half of one of you. Risto, I don't know which half is going to accomplish your goals, but one half probably will, your left half. I usually think top, bottom. You went left, right. Okay. Whatever. It's my left half. (laughs) So actually, less than half of one of you is going to get that, and it's because change is hard. You get to the edge of it, and you face a giant. You face a giant, like, I can't get through this. I can't get past this barrier. And we get to that place of the giants. We get to the edge of the Red Sea, and we say, it'd be better to go back and be buried in the graves in Egypt. We get to the edge of the promised land and say, there's giants? Let's just stay here. We get to the edge of Goliath, and we look just like the army of Israel, and we say, no way, Jose. I ain't going out there. I ain't going out there. And we hide in fear. And that's the context that's taking place in 1 Samuel 17. If you want to open your Bible, it says, I'm going to read a segment to you. Israel is under the leadership of King Saul, who is the, the first king of Israel. And one of Israel's great enemies has risen up against them, the Philistines, the Philistines. We use that word in culture. Oh, he's an uncultured swine. He's such a Philistine. You know, it just means a, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. It means you're a Philistine. And so he's risen up against them. They've attacked cities. They've attacked uh, the nation of Israel. They've taken away some of their treasure. And now they've come against each other. The two armies are lined up in a valley, one army on one side, one army on the other. All of their men arrayed in all of their armor and flashing, you know, covers. And they've got shields and swords and they've got spears. And they're all waiting there. And they're waiting for the moment when somebody says attack. Because that's what armies do, Right? Waiting for that moment when somebody says attack. But instead of attack, what happens is a giant comes out. Now, the, you guys think that I can exaggerate? Like, I'm a skilled exaggerator. I, tried not, I try not to, but it just is natural for me. I'm a skilled exaggerator. But Jewish rabbis have gotten nothing on, or I've got nothing on Jewish rabbis. So these guys have actually said things like, he was 13 to 16 feet tall. Well, the text probably says he was more like six foot nine, which is still huge in that day because most of the average person, I was tall in this day and age. So I was tall. So six foot nine man who may be nine feet, some people say, and the Jewish rabbis say, you know, 12 to 16 feet tall. He comes marching out with his armor on, which the, the biblical stuff says that it probably had about 125 pounds worth of armor. And the, the rabbis, you know what they say? They say one ton of armor on him. Yeah, and then one other guy, he got really crazy. He said 120 tons. 120 tons of armor. It was like he's wearing a tank, and he comes out, and he stands there, this giant of a man. I mean, you guys get the picture. Have you guys ever experienced this? When you look at your giants, they seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger the longer you look at them. That's what's going on. That's what the rabbis are doing. Looking through the ages, it gets bigger every time they look. And that's what the giants do for us. They get bigger every time they look. And so these guys are looking out at Goliath. And Goliath says, tell you what, this is like straight out of our news headlines just this last week. It's a fight to the death, single combat with swords to the death. Did you guys hear about this? Like this, this husband wanted to divorce his wife and they had custody issues with their kids and he challenged his wife to single combat to the death with Japanese swords. Who does that? Like it's an easy win for the judge, right? Nope, the wife gets them. <laughs> So we'll just take care of that. So single combat to the death. And what happens is this great army of Israel who has seen God do all of these amazing things through history. They saw, they remember coming out of Egypt. They remember all the plagues. They remember crossing the Red Sea. They remember manna from heaven. They remember quail from heaven. They remember God giving city after city after city to them. And they have all of this wealth of memory behind them. And yet they 
climb into caves and into holes, and they hide and they cower in fear. Which this morning as we were worshiping and we we're declaring, you made a way where there's no way, and I believe that I'll see you do it again. I just had this image of the church in America hiding in holes and caves and saying, that may be true, we may have this memory, but it's scary to raise my hands. It's scary to sing this out. It's scary to live this way. And God's saying, come out. It's a giant, but I take care of giants. Into the scene of this entire army, this entire church, this entire people cowering in fear before this giant comes this young boy, David. And he walks onto the scene and he says, who's this dork? Who is this guy? David, little David, who's out in the fields tending sheep. He's just a little shepherd boy. He's just unassuming. He's cute. He's probably good looking. He's tan, curly hair. You can see it. But he's cocky. He says, who is this dog? Who calls people dogs anymore? I don't know. But maybe we do. He did. Who is this dog to defy the armies of the living God? People are like, sheesh, a little bit of swagger for a little young buck. And they start talking about him, and they start talking, and word reaches the king, and he goes before the king, and he speaks to the king, and this is what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read verses 33 through 37. He comes to Saul, the high king, the military leader, the ruler, and he says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear, and he took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. And I struck him, and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. I was waiting for a woo. It was awesome. I mean, talk about a rally speech, right? No football coach has got anything on this, right? They go into the locker room, you guys are losing, and they start giving the rally speech, and they come out and they win. This is, this is above and beyond a rally speech. David comes with faith. David, in this one act, brought faith back to an entire army of people, to an entire nation of people, to an entire church, to an entire neighborhood, to an entire family. His faith and his life and his integrity set all of them free. The great miracle of that moment was not David going and killing Goliath, but David stepping out. David facing the giant. David saying, I remember what God has done in the past, and therefore I am going to step into the gap on behalf of my whole people and fight this giant. And it's not going to go well for the giant. See, many of us, we come to the edge of our own giants, right? We come to the edge of what God's calling. We come to this new vision that God's given us. We come to this invitation, and we take that first step, and we get that shoulder crash from the giant in front of us. You can't do this. You've failed a thousand times before. Think about all the times you've ever failed in the past. Think about all those things that you ever did. Think about the mistakes you made back when you were younger. Think, think about the mistakes you made just yesterday. God may be calling you to this, but there's no way that you, puny you, will ever get past this. Except that God's got this. 
We look through the lens of our failures when we look at our giants rather than the lens of our successes. And that's exactly what David does. He makes an intentional decision to face his giant with a a pair of glasses on that are the lens of the successes and all that God has ever done for him. And he remembers. So he goes back to the past, which is what my sermon is going to do now. We're going to go past, present, and future. He goes back to the past and he remembers the lions and the bears. That's, I know, I can sense it in the room right now. There is a strong urge, Angel, you are probably going to lead this, to go right to Wizard of Oz, right? You want to do it. Should we just do it and get it over with? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. So let's all do that together, shall we? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Okay, one more. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Right, you guys know you wanted to do it, so I decided to let you do it. He goes back, and he remembers lions and tigers and bears, oh my. But he also remembers lions and tigers and bears came and took my sheep, and I had none of that. So you know what I did? I whack them with a stick. Now, me, when a lion, a tiger, or a bear comes along and takes one of my things, I don't know what it might happen to be, even maybe one of you, I'd go, oh my gosh, a bear just took a person. Somebody call the pound. Somebody call fish and game. Of animal control, anything. Somebody call the police. A bear just took somebody. David's like, uh-uh. He whack, and he hits the bear right on the back with a stick. And you know what bears do when you poke them? <laughs> bears, they turn around when you poke them. Don't poke the bear. That's what they say, right? But I'm telling you today, poke the bear. Because when he poked the bear, it turned on him. And you know what he did? Then he killed it. In the strength that God gave him, he killed it. David had two voices coming at him in that moment, standing before the giant, and he could have listened to either one of them. And they're the same two voices that you and I face. You can have the voice of the lions and tigers and bears of your past that you have taken down and you have killed and the power and the strength that God has given you. All the times that God showed up, or you can listen to the voice of anxiety, fear, and depression that would say to you, you're a failure, you're weak, you're nothing, you've got no business being here, and you will never get past and move into the stuff that God has for you. Those voices, they come to you, and they want to take you down, and they're telling you you're going to fail, that they're going to kill you, and you can be like David in this moment. And the question I have to ask myself is, is David scared? I mean, was he scared? Actually, I think he was, because you know what it says? That the whole army was terrified. The whole army was terrified. They ran in fear. The whole place was a soup of fear and anxiety and depression, and he was in the midst of it. And he's in the middle of that fear, and he knows, though, that he can make a choice to give in to that fear or to make a break and to turn and remember what God has done. That's the definition of bravery. It's not not being afraid, but it's acting in the face of fear. And so David does something very courageous, and this is what God's calling you to today. It's a very courageous movement toward his calling on your life a very courageous movement toward his invitation on your life. David speaks to me because he defies the fear and the anxiety of the moment by remembering his past. We've had a few of those in the history of our church. I'll tell you about a few, few lions and tigers and bears. And the first one I want to tell you about, though, was the first one I ever faced as pastor of the church. Within a few weeks of being placed as senior pastor, I had somebody come to my office Actually, what they did is they called first, and they said those, my favorite, my favorite three or four words. Anybody want to guess what those words are? 
I need to talk. We need to talk. Now, it's not, can I speak with you? Could we have a chat? It's, I need to talk. We need to talk. And I'm like, oh, dang it. Okay. See, I knew that I was really different than the previous pastor, like in ways that I didn't even understand. <laughs> but this guy comes into my office and he says to me, God is doing something in this church. And I'm like, sweet. This is going to be good. What do you got for me? And he goes, but you're not it. Oh, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. Whoa. And I'm leaving and taking my tithe money with me. Well, thank you. I feel encouraged. I feel great. Two voices coming into my head. Here they come. Voice one. He's right. You are a loser. What are you doing here? You might be 35 years old, but you've got the maturity of an eight-year-old, dude. What are you thinking? You can't, you can't speak seriously for more than 10 minutes. You may be a great worship leader, but you, got, you can't pastor these people. You can't walk with them through their pain. You can't face the giants that are in the, what? What are you even? He's right. You're probably not a Christian. You're right. I'm not. I don't love Jesus enough. But then a second voice came. And that second voice said this. Hey, do you remember that house that you had on the west side? The house that was like you owned in the middle of the market crashing that you sold in one day? Do you remember how you got a full price offer? Do you remember how it was trashed? It wasn't even supposed to be empty, but it was empty. My, the leasers left and destroyed the house, and every friend you had came up and then one weekend flipped that house and made it ready for sale. Do you remember the house I provided for you right here in town? Do you remember all of the stories that happened to get you to Pullman? Because God knows, I know, God's saying this, I know you wouldn't have gone to Pullman if I didn't do this. You would have been like, no way, Jose, if I knew what this place was like. I led you to this place, and I prepared it for you. You got a choice. Which voice are you going to listen to? But the lions and tigers and bears don't stop there. Within a few years of being pastor of Pullman Foursquare Church, Beverly, Masaro's lovely wife, our church, uh, not treasurer, but bookkeeper, she comes to me and says, Pastor, you know how you think we have money? We don't have any. What do you mean we don't have any? There's none. Zero. Are we going to be able to pay our bills? I don't know. What? I thought we had money. I know you thought we had money, but we don't have money. And this is how the conversation went for like 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> what? And I'm just like, all right, okay, let me be clear. What are you, can you just, let me repeat back to you what I hear you saying. I hear you saying that we have money in our accounts. No, what I'm saying to you is there's no money in the accounts. How are we going to survive? I don't know. But guess what happened? We prayed, and God provided. And the accounts filled back up. And we were able to pay our bills. And we never missed a bill. And we were always on time. And we even got to a place where we had savings that is helping us through lean times. God provided a lion, a tiger, and a bear, all three of them together. And the finance is saying, I won't take you down. You have a choice. You can listen to what God is saying. And what God has done, or you can go to fear, you can go to anxiety, you can go to depression. Oh, it's never going to happen. There was a time when we weren't sure the church was going to survive. We're looking around, and we're like, man, they're dropping like flies. They just keep disappearing. What are we going to do? 
What is God's vision for the church? I don't know. What do people even think about this place? And Heidi and I bravely, maybe stupidly, but also bravely, brought together a, an assessment. And we asked people, what do you think about church? And we went through a time, a period of eight or ten weeks where we just read what we thought about church and what God was saying to us and where we were weak and where we were strong and what God would made, maybe it would have us to do for the next few years. And we came together, and at the end of that time, we weren't a weak, shallow mess, but we were a deep, strong family of Jesus who desperately loved their city and wanted to move out and not just stay here and die. A lion, a tiger, and a bear. Or how about this theater? <laughs> Seems like a cool place to have a church, but as Heidi says, it's old and a lot of work. And we were meeting in a hallway outside to have lunches. Try having a potluck out in that hallway. Those of us who were here at that time remember, you're shoulder to shoulder, squeezed against a water fountain. It was terrible. And we said, we got to have a place to be a family of Jesus. We need the backspace. Masaro says, hey, that's a great idea. He shows up Sunday after church and tears out half the seats in the church. We didn't have a design. We didn't have permits. We didn't have money. <laughs> He got real excited, so we had sharp posts in the back of the church for like four years. What was a simple deck became an engineering nightmare, but turned into one of the most best decisions we ever made because we can be a family of Jesus on the backspace. People stepped up. What was, what was a $5,000 project turned into like a $28,000 project. And you know what? We didn't go into debt. The money just kept showing up. Thank you. Jesus provided through you. A lion, a tiger, a bear. Or what about people leaving? Now, you guys hear me talk about that because it, it's so hard on me. But it's not just people leaving angry, which happens, but it's people leaving because they move. Many of you are like, you're, you are on the conveyor belt out the door right now. You're like, this is my last semester. I'm getting closer and closer. I'll be gone any second now. Just watch. With this long history of people who have left. And they're not just anybody. They're key leaders. They're people that have invested time and energy and money into this church. Every time Heidi and I felt like, oh, we finally got our feet. Like, we're like surfing now. We're riding a wave. All of a sudden, half the surfboard leaves. And you're like, whoa! And you're splat. you find yourself treading water again. And you know what? I was starting to think about this. I'm like, I was like listing these lions, tigers, and bears. And I was listing just the, the names of the people. And I'm going to say some of them to you because... I think part of people leaving is that we mourn them in a really healthy way. We're like, we loved those people, and now they're off, and they're doing amazing things for God. And this is, list is long. I'm just going to name some of them, and you're going to think of some others. Megan McPherson. Does anybody remember Megan the person? Worship leader? Incredible young woman. Erin O'Neill. Another incredible worship leader. Last week, we were visited by Bridger and Rochelle. Just sweet people leading financial peace. Caleb and Stella Nindo. Man, they were people of peace. Like, international folks flocked around them. When they left, suddenly we were the whitest church in town. It was terrible. I loved those people. And they were not just what they did, but who they were. They were just like always praying. Caleb painted the ceiling blue. It's his fault. Okay. <laughs> I'm hoping he hears this online sometime. Robert and Brittany Beavis. They came in the door wandering and searching and went out the door missionaries. Uh, Chris and Alyssa Mitchell, they came in the doors looking for places to serve, became youth pastors, and now they're in Alaska. Chris was appointed senior pastor of his church in, in Anchorage just a couple weeks ago. Chris and uh, Kristen Veldheisen. Like, we should hear woos for these people, maybe. I don't know. Like, oh, Chris and Kristen. Jandy Love. More recently... 
Bruce and Lori Heimbigner, Derek Lambert, Russ and Janie Salvadelina. Every single one of those names carries a great deal of joy and a whole lot of pain because we said goodbye. And every time one of them left, there was a voice in my head that said, you will not recover from this. You might as well give up. But God is saying, do you remember every single one of those persons? Every time one left, somebody else came. They're different. They're not filling the same roles. But God brings something new and births something new. These are the lions and tigers and bears we have faced as a church. Just some of them. Just a, you guys have probably got your own list. In fact, maybe that's the place to go for just a second. I want you to think. In your own life, not just in this church, but your own personal life. Name one lion, tiger, or bear in your mind or on a piece of paper. Write it down. I'm going to give you a second to think. And so now we move to the present. That was the past. But the present is shaped by all of those stories of the lions and the tigers and bears. This, this room, there is a whole stinking zoo full of animals that have gone down by the power of God in our lives. Amen? Okay, if you've had a lion or tiger or bear go down in your life by the power of God, would you just say amen and let people know? Okay, that was a little better. It's true. And you know what? I think we come to that a little tentatively. It's fair. It's fair to come to that a little tentatively because the other question that comes in our mind is, is that it's the question of the serpent in Genesis chapter 1, right? Did God really say? Did God really do? Did God really make that happen? It was a bear for heaven's sake. Come on, folks. And that bear went down and it was the power of God. Do not fall prey to the denial. So you come to the present just like David did. He's remembering lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And he says in the present that this giant shall be like one of them. He makes a declaration, a statement of truth and a statement of power and a statement of defiance. And I'm asking you right now to think about that giant that you face. To think about that thing that's going to keep you from moving into God's invitation. And I want you to say to it in your mind, this too shall be like one of those. In fact, let's just say it together. This too shall be like one of those. Okay, let's get that done right, right? I just like stumbled right over it. So that's, you guys got the phrase? This too shall be like one of those? Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. This too shall be like one of those. Who you have been and what God has done in you, both of your failures and your mistakes and God's great triumphs and successes in your life forms and shapes who you are as you face the new giant. And that's the truth of this church, too. Think about David. He comes to the giant not with armor, not with swords or with spears, which is what Saul wanted to put on him. Here's my tank. You go out against the tank with my tank. And David says, I, I can't even move in this. I'm not made to be a tank. I'm a shepherd boy. And so he comes and says, I'm going to be who I am, and I'm going to face that giant. I'm going to be who God made me to be, and I'm going to face that giant. This church is going to be who God has made it to be as it faces the giant. David was small, but he came out, and in the power of God, he was mighty. And I have said of our church before, we may be small, but we're mighty. We're mighty in the power of the Spirit. 
And we allow how God has shaped us and formed us, small and mighty in Jesus, to inform how we attack that giant. Because that's what David does. He doesn't hide in fear. He attacks. He doesn't defy. He doesn't get just, oh, I'll take you. And they talk smack. He says, he goes out and he just attacks. He just attacks. And that's what we're going to do. When I think about the challenges that we face in the future, when I think about who we are in this moment, I just can't believe that it's anything but a miracle. With all of the bears and lions we face in the past, it's amazing that we stand here today. It's amazing that this church is here. We're bruised. We got scratches. David never said I got, didn't get scratched when he's dealing with a bear or a lion. Bruised and scratched, shaped and formed, but we stand as who we are, and we become a miracle in a moment. This church is a miracle in a moment. When I think about who we are, all I can do is just, you know, that word behold. Remember we talked about that before? The word behold in the Bible means to stand in awe and wonder. When I look at this church, all I can do is stand in awe and wonder. I look and I see that we are a people that are deeply committed to being the new family of Jesus, to being and giving something different to the world around us, relating to each other in the fruits of the Spirit with peace, hope, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's how we're living toward one another. We're a body that's deeply committed to the Scripture. We're not just being wishy-washy about what it says. We're being students of the Word. We're getting into Bible studies and digging deep and seeing what this has to say and applying it to our lives. We're no shallow whatevers. Shallow somethings. Shallow Sue? I don't know. Making that up. We're deep. We're a church that loves diversity. And not just the cultural picture of diversity. But we love actually many cultures and nations. And they're represented in this room. Very different people culturally. Very different people politically. Don't get them together. Just the two of them. But with all of us, it's okay. Socioeconomically, how much money people make. How much money people don't have. Racially, we're knitted together. And it's a God thing because we couldn't plan this or organize this or do this ourselves. We can't go out to the street and say, hey, are you a Democrat? Come to church. Hey, are you a Republican? Come to church. And we're going to put you in seats together. We couldn't make that happen, right? They just sit there and stab each other with their pencils. It's true. We couldn't, we couldn't do this in our own selves. This is the power of God at work in us. And I think that David, as he looked at his present, he was very aware of his past. But he didn't listen to the voices of despair. He looked and he said, I'm standing here as a miracle, not because of my strength, not because of my power, but because of the power of God. It's the armies of God that, uh, that feel the, this giant is defying. That's what, that's what, you know what, what Goliath said over and over again? I defy the armies of Saul. He didn't even know who he was talking to. But David knew, this is the army of God. And I stand in awe and wonder, and it's by God's help alone that I've made it this far. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. That's an old hymn that we sing sometimes. Ebenezer is a stone, a rock of remembrance. David stands, and he is his own Ebenezer. You are your own Ebenezer. Hither by God's help you have come. And you are who you are, and you face the giant with your slingshot, no matter how small it seems, because it's not your power, it's not your strength, but it's by God's spirit that the giants fall. And so we move to the future. 
David assesses this situation. He realizes this is a pivotal moment for the people of Israel. They can't go backwards because if they allow the giant to attack them, they become this. The, the, the bargain is if I kill your champion, you will become our slaves. We can't go back to Egypt. We can't be what we were. God rescued us. And they can't go forward. That's what everybody's going. We can't go forward. David realizes this pivotal moment. The only way forward is through the giant. The only way forward is through Goliath. And so he attacks. I know that God is birthing new dreams in you and in me and in this church. He's birthing a new dream for a community that has an impact that goes beyond these four walls, beyond this university, beyond this city. And to get to that future, to get to the vision that's being birthed in us, we have to go through Goliath. But I want to encourage you, remember the lion and the bear. Remember what God has already done. As a church, we're moving forward toward a preferred future together. We're going to double down on wholehearted discipleship, like loving Jesus with everything that we have. We're giving him access to every part of our hearts, not just the outer world, not just what we, this is our Sunday morning time. We're giving him every area of our lives, from our thought life, to our sexuality, to our spiritual life, to our relational life, our family life, and we're going to learn how to walk and live as a new family of Jesus, so that when somebody walks in these doors, they're going to experience something so radically different from the, from the coffee shop. They're going to experience something so radically different from the grocery store. And they look at it, and they go, what is going on here? And all we can say is Jesus. Can we say Jesus together? Okay, can we say Jesus without it sounding like a football game? Jesus. I mean, this is a person. It's not just a name. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a person, and it's God. And it's, it's somebody we relate to, not just look at from afar. We're going to be the new family of Jesus. We're breaking generational, gender, racial, and social barriers as a church, and that's not easy. God's already done a work in this, but how do we step forward in this, God? There are so many giants in the land in that area alone, between black and white, between Muslim and Christian, between rich and poor, between men and women. This place is a miracle. You guys don't even know this, but we've sent out more female pastors from this church than any other church I know of in our whole district. And there's a lot of really big churches. We, we are a mill for female pastors. And if you're a female in this room, you better look out because Heidi sees pastors everywhere she looks. You may like, like oh, shoot, I'm going to be licensed next thing I know. We're breaking these barriers, and God is calling us to stand up to those giants. We're being called to love and serve our city. And you know what? The worst part about that one is I don't even know what that means. Like how? are we going to love and serve our city? Because our city doesn't want to be loved or served. Our city wants nothing to do with church. How are we going to do that? And that in itself is a giant. And I have sat many times in my office and just thought, well, they don't want us to. Well, I try. And yet God says, here it is. Come follow me into this. Here's my invitation, love and serve the city. Okay, can you be more specific, Jesus? We'll talk about it. But until then, you're going to defy the giant. You're going to stand and attack. Find ways. Seek to love and serve the city. I got to the end of my sermon, and I didn't have any more notes. I hope I've encouraged you this morning. Does it make sense what I've said? 
I mean, this is, this is the truth. But like, it's really encouraging to come to church and hear God's inviting you into something. And it's really discouraging on Monday morning to be told by some monster in your own head that you can't do it. And what I want you to hear above all is that God is calling you to attack, to remember the lions and the tigers and the bears that God has taken down in your past and follow him into the future. And I want to say this. Some of you may feel in this moment that God has not ever taken down a lion, a tiger, or a bear in your life that you faced them alone, that you've been beaten and battered and bruised. But you know what? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. The wounds of those tigers and lions and bears will not destroy you because God is working within even what you see as a failure to create his glory. Because that is the one thing. Heidi prayed this this morning. It's the one thing that God has asked us to give him. He's not asked us to obey in everything. He's not asked us to be the perfect person. He's not asked us to perform to earn his love. He says, give me glory. Live in such a way that you honor me. And that's what you're being asked to do this morning, to defy the giant. And you're going to come back bloodied and bruised, but that giant will fall in the power of God. The giants that this church faces will fall. I speak with confidence. That's why we sang those songs this morning. We sang songs of confidence and faithfulness because it's not us, right? I've seen you move. You've moved mountains, and I believe you'll do it again. Ron, I've seen God move mountains. He's going to do it in you. Heidi, he's going to do it in you. Simon, God's going to move some mountains for you. Shoot, I don't have time to go to every person. I don't. But I'm looking at all of you. It's going to happen. So Jesus, we say thank you for the lions and tigers and bears, even the ones that have hurt us more than we think we hurt them, because we know that you have given them for our good and for your glory, that you are using them to shape us and mold us and to transform us into your image. And God, we say thank you for the times that those lions and tigers and bears were left laid waste in the desert and dead, because by your power, we poked them and we struck them. And they died. And we walked back to camp carrying that which was stolen from us. This morning, I believe that God wants to return to some of you that which has been stolen. That lions and tigers and bears have come up against you and has stolen something from you. It's taken your joy. It's taken your hope. It's taken your belief that there can be a different future. I don't know what that is, but God is saying, you can have this back. Just follow me. He's returning to you that which has been stolen. So, Jesus, we just receive that now as a church. And, God, we rise up together. And I'm praying this on behalf of all of us, that we would not be the army of Israel hiding in caves and behind rocks, but that we would stand as one and declare that there was lions and tigers and bears that came into our camp and stole something from us, and we went after it. And in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, we poked them, we struck them down, and we came home with that which was stolen. We will defy any giant that stands before us in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that that strength and that courage and that bravery would rest upon this place. That you would lead us and guide us and sharpen our vision. That that this idea of a 2020 vision would be true. That we would actually have 2020 sight seeing what you were calling us to and not be afraid to walk toward it. We ask this in your power and in your strength, but above all, by the mighty name of Jesus, who rose from the dead, proving that there is no giant too big to get through. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up so I can bless you?
I want to just bless all of you. I hope you were blessed already. Go in the strength that God has given you. Go and live in your integrity, being who you are, not trying to pretend to be somebody else. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit to face the giants that would get in the way of God's dream for your life, God's vision for your now, and his invitation to you in this moment. Go to love your neighbor as yourself. Go to love others as well as you possibly can and asking the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to love them better. In Jesus' name, amen. Above all, Jesus loves you. And I do too. And so does Heidi. And Sarah, who always giggles when I say that. Amen.